The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 281 for October 16th, 2011. A three-day service outage hits BlackBerry users hard, Apple releases the iPhone 4S, and MMS is coming soon to Google Voice. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. Well, first up this week, I've got a story about why this was my worst week ever. So last weekend, I ended up selling my iPhone 4 on Sunday. My brother-in-law had the original iPhone 3G, and so I decided... You know, I was going to be picking up a 4S, and so it was time to get rid of the 4, and he really needed a phone, so I shipped it off to him. Well, see, there's your problem. An entire week without a phone? You, can, you can't even go three minutes without one. So it's not like I didn't have a phone, though, right? I mean, I took my AT&T SIM, and I put it into my HTC Diamond, which, if you remember, the Diamond came out in, what, 2007, and Edge only on AT&T, and Windows Mobile 6... And I cried a little bit, but then I I got over it because at least I had a phone to use. But anyway, so what I decided was I was going to just use that for a phone for the week. And I still have my BlackBerry and, of course, I have my iPad. So between the three of them, I figured, you know, I should be able to have a pretty decent week with the three of these things. But here's some of the issues that I ran into. Number one, I don't have 3G on my iPad. So I had to, anytime I wanted to use it when I was uh, out and about, I had to connect it to the cradle point with my LTE stick, which was fine but a little bit cumbersome. Uh, and honestly, it, it made for just a little bit more difficulty than I was used to. And I, I really realized how much I rely on my phone uh, when I'm out and about and, and not have any of that connectivity on the iPad. So, um, But anyway, so I said, okay, well, I'm going to pretend like I have got a 3G iPad here and, and use the cradle point uh, more. And so it, was, it worked out well, but uh, I tried to use it for streaming music in the car. And Joey, I think I had emailed you uh, on Monday. And I, as I had my cradle point with the LTE stick plugged into it so that I could get connectivity on the iPad and then streaming Slacker over A2DP to my car. Trying to use an iPad in a car is, not, number one, not safe. And I, after one day, I said, I'm not going to do this. This is, it's way too big. I very, had a hard time trying to change the, the stations and stuff like that. So anyway, so that didn't work. So I said, well, okay, maybe I'll just use the BlackBerry a little bit more. So I tried to use Slacker on that and tons of skipping, cutouts, just an overall a really, really bad experience that lasted about a day. So in for my commuting, I ended up having to go back to listening to the radio. Now, I'll be honest with you. I haven't listened to regular radio and I can't even tell you how long. I mean, maybe a little bit here and there if I'm on like a, a one minute, two minute drive, but I almost always connect it up and I listen to streaming music just because that's what I like to do or maybe podcasts or whatever it is. But I ended up list- sitting like half the week listening to, uh, to radio and there was, I remember one night I was driving and I just turned off the radio. I said, I, I can't handle this. I, I just do not want to listen to commercials and just general uh, DJs that I don't really enjoy listening to. So we move on from there. <laughs> and uh, so some of the music experience was not good not having this. So the next thing was, how about getting my email? Well, I've got a BlackBerry, so email should be easy, right? Well, unfortunately, I've got a company that doesn't allow use of the BlackBerry internet service, so I couldn't set up my Gmail in there to pull down my email. But I do have the Gmail application on the phone, but that only gets email about every 20 minutes. And I'm pretty used to getting emails and responding to emails and triaging emails right away. So as I would, you know, every 20 minutes get like three or five or even more emails at a time, it was frustrating. And I found myself just 
keeping the iPad connected then to an LTE connection because I wanted to make sure that I was getting that email real time. But again, when you're out and about, that's not really useful. So anyways, I wasn't real happy about the email solution. And then for texting, I don't have a phone that's got a texting plan on it. I just use Google Voice. And the Google Voice application on the BlackBerry is really lacking quite a bit. Um, number one, it's, it's, it's slow. Um, at the most, you can have it only sync every five minutes. Um, and that's okay, but it's not really great for flowing SMS conversations. And I spent a lot of time hitting that refresh button as I was texting back and forth with people. Um, and but overall, I mean, it was still usable for those of you that are BlackBerry users out there. I, I I can see you know the ability to get by with with using a BlackBerry. It wasn't as bad as I make it out to be. I mean, it was just kind of me being whiny here until Wednesday, and then BlackBerry goes down, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But everything stopped working when that happened. I wasn't getting email. I couldn't stream music. I couldn't do anything as far as uh, you know checking the web, everything was out because of the, the network operation center outage. And so it was basically like being back to not having any sort of BlackBerry to use. And then I stole the diamond and I did have an edge connection on it. So I said, okay, well, let me at least try and use this to get email. But the thing that I realized with the diamond is the screen, I don't remember what size it is. It's like 1.8 inches or something like that. It's nearly impossible to browse the web on. Um, You have to use the stylus for almost everything on it. It's got a resistive touchscreen, which makes it really, you know, you have to put pressure on it to really make it work. The bottom line is by the end of the day on Wednesday, just generally frustrated, disappointed, and actually a little bit depressed because I didn't have a great mobile solution. I wasn't able to, you know, when I was out and about being able to do anything. I, I sat there on, on Wednesday at lunch as I was having my, my Chipotle for lunch and, and was just, I'm just looking at a BlackBerry that's not working and I'm looking at a diamond that's moving so slow and I have to use this little stylus on it. I felt like I was back in 2007 and it was just, as far as mobile weeks concerned, Joey, I, I was just absolutely uh, just bummed out about the whole thing. Well, it, it, it's, it, it is difficult when the technology is not available what you're used to. I mean, you, you, that expectation becomes, you know, normal where you want something to be super fast, super efficient. I mean, you've grown very used to the iPhone over the years because you've had one now the, the entire time, almost the entire time, a few little gaps in there. But, uh, you know, going back to a piece of technology like the Diamond, which uh, you used briefly, but I don't think you actually ever did really like it um, back in the day. I mean, it was uh, uh, just not that good. It never was. Um, the, the form factor was really neat for the time, but it just... It was just sloppily done. And, you know, of course, you know, the BlackBerry service being out, that's something that's difficult to avoid, but it really goes to show uh, when you've got no data coming uh, down, it it just grinds you to a halt. You know, it was, you're absolutely right. I I didn't use it for all that long. Um, And it's, the size is great if all you want to do is make phone calls and you can kind of get by with texting on it, but it's, I mean, I I just not a fan. So, uh, especially this, this many years later, but um, as a backup phone, I guess it's fine. So then Friday comes along and my iPhone 4S arrives. And uh, you know what? It was always back good with the world. Then. So, But I had kind of an interesting experience with, with setting it up. Let me just share briefly what I, what I did. So because I was using um, a developer uh, preview of iOS 5 for the last two months, I was able to use iCloud with it. And so my iPhone 4 was always backed up over iCloud to, uh, to, the, you know, to the service. So as soon as I got it, um, the 4S, I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try this whole setting it up through iCloud thing 
typed in my credentials uh, during the setup process, and uh, it started to do the backup uh, over Wi-Fi. So that was pretty neat. Now, the problem is uh, it's all, like I said, being done over Wi-Fi, and my backup was over three gigs, and it's... It's not exactly optimal when you're trying to kind of get your phone up and running. It's got to download all those applications. It's got to download all that application data. It's It just generally takes a while. So after a couple of hours and about half a battery gone, I, I ended up plugging it into iTunes to help speed up that process. And um, it, it kind of did a funky thing. It gave me... it. it, it installed everything just fine. Um, but then it, it gave me essentially two different... Um, iCloud backups because then it, it saw the original one from the iPhone 4 and then it's like it had created a new one because I had plugged it into iTunes and I'm not sure exactly what happened there but anyway I ran out of space in iCloud so then I had to go and actually delete one of the backups and kind of start over but I eventually got it got it all installed and everything was fine but one thing I noticed was as you do these restores from operating system to operating system device to device it carries on a lot of information and a lot of garbage within these applications if you think of each of the iOS apps as its own little package it it has all of the uh, the executable type files but then it has all your personal files but it also has all of those backup files um, you know all of the information from essentially the point at which you originally installed it so what then happens is you can find some crashes uh, you can get you know sluggishness or things like that and it was about 12 hours after I initially got everything up and running I said you know what I, I can't handle this I mean Joey I was texting back and forth with you and I had probably I don't know at least a dozen maybe 15 applications that had uh, that had bad data in them that were corrupted or did something that caused crashes um, I couldn't get onto things like Twitter Google Voice we'll get to Google Voice again later in the show but there was a big issue with that where I couldn't even launch the application um, I think Facebook was also messed up so um, ultimately I ended up just wiping and installing all of the applications essentially fresh well, and sometimes, you know, it's kind of like um, uh, you, you kind of have to do that just like a computer. Um, it's, you know, the, the temporary data is part of those, you know, packages, as you said. Um, you've got uh, all this stuff where, like you said, changing OSs, it's probably being upgraded, you know, throughout the, you know, the cycles of the OS that you just, you can't get rid of this stuff until you do a clean install. And, and how long have you been basically using your same image? When was the, first, the last time you did a clean, clean uh, operating system uh, start? I mean, iPhone 3G maybe? I mean, maybe. It's, it could be that long. Yeah, it, it may be. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure. It may have been the 3GS. I think I probably have done this before. I would say with the iPhone 4, but that was almost like a set it and forget it device. I never never even really thought about much with that one. And so um, honestly, it took me a number of hours to get everything set back up because it's it's fine to just go through iTunes and click the apps that you want, but then you got to organize them. Then you got to go in and log into each one of them. That's probably the biggest deal is I can't tell you how many times I typed in my, my email address and all the usernames and passwords and you know setting up notifications and how you want it. I mean, once you get it set up, you kind of want it to just be there. So uh, it was it was a tad annoying, but I, I feel a lot better about it now. Battery life seems to be suffering less because of it, because it's uh, things are running smoother and just generally a, a better experience. Yeah, you know, I've read things about that too, you know, like when the 3GS came out or uh, was it 3G, 3G, 3GS when the iOS 4 came out that a lot of people were having battery drain issues. I know mm-hmm. the same thing with the uh, iPod Touch 2G. I was actually looking at that this weekend. That's why I bring it up because um, I, I guess doing a restore from the previous three point whatever version OS, uh, the battery just drains on standby like 
unbelievable. I've got one up there. It'll play the Netflix for four and a half hours. No problem. But if I put it on standby, the thing's draining the battery just as fast if it was playing Netflix with the screen on. So uh, just in the course of a few hours, the battery went from 70 or 80% down to 30% just sitting there. And I I read that same experience and, and, you know, doing complete, you know, clean restore, you know, wipe on it is the uh, solution in many cases. Well, we're talking about OSs. Let's hit on iOS 5 a little bit here because, uh, you know, both of us have been using it now. Um, it, it finally officially came out on Wednesday. They released a, a compatible version or a compatible version with the original iPad, iPad 2, iPhone 4, and 3GS, which is nice. I've got one of those here in the house running it. Of course, then the iOS uh, iPhone 4S and then third and fourth generation iPod touches. Um, you know, I've, I've got it now running on an iPad and an iPhone. Um, there's a, a few interesting tweaks, uh, changes, differences about each of them. Honestly, I think they did a really good job with the iPad version. That's the one that I'm, I'm pretty impressed with, with some multi-touch gestures, um, you know, tying in all of the, of course, the things that you want uh, with, with the iPhone you brought to it, like iMessage. Um, Joey, uh, I know you've got some thoughts on this one, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive, you know, kind of what we speculated back when we first, you know, uh, got the, the, when they gave us the preview of iOS 5, when they talked about iMessage, they talked about the, uh, the new capabilities, the notification panel. And we've had, you know, in betas, you've got to use it. But now we've got, you know, basically everybody with it now. And the iMessage is as impressive as they made it out to, to, to sound. And uh, it really is a BBM uh, competitor in, in a big way because, uh, you know, the difference is it's basically transparent between all of your devices. Um, it, you know, and I don't have an iPhone, but you know, this makes me want to get one because I want to be able to communicate with you and anybody else who has iOS devices. And I think, um, you know, as we've speculated before, I believe this iMessage protocol will really get more people into iPhones because you want to be able to communicate with, with your friends easy and effectively, just like the BBM craze of Blackberries from what, about two, three years ago when they were just hot. Everybody had a, a Blackberry for a short period of time. And I, I just foresee this happening again because it's the same technology, but you know, everybody got left behind that were using Blackberries because, you know, the the iPhone was so much more exciting and, and much more capable. And this is kind of where we, we've we've got with the iMessage. And but that's just one, you know, one little aspect of the operating system. And uh, for me, the iOS five for the iPad is just uh, it's a phenomenal upgrade. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate not being interrupted with my Netflix stream with the, those blue dialogue boxes that stop the thing from playing and get in my way. And I have to go over to the device, clear it off, hit play again to keep it playing. Now just a quick little preview pops up and then slides away. Uh, I can address it right then if I want to interrupt or I can just deal with it later. I, it's just uh, infinitely better, Mickey, just infinitely well, it's, going back to iMessage, uh, you're absolutely right. It, it is uh, going to, I think, get a lot more people on iPhones. It's a gateway, uh, I think. You know, you're you're using the service on a on a regular basis, or if you're using it on a regular basis, you're going to want to have it with you all the time. And and it's hard to do that with an iPad because that is just not something that comes with you every place that you go. And if it is, you don't always have connectivity with it. The the, the Wi-Fi models of the iPads are what really sell. And it. it I, I kind of feel like the primary use is going to be for the iPhone, and then the secondary use is going to be 
for the iPad um, and then, of course, the iPod Touch. That All that said, I am really liking it, though, on the iPad. I'm getting really proficient with typing on it. And, and Joey, you and I are absolutely just using this almost exclusively all weekend long to communicate back and forth with each other between you know the read and delivered notifications, which are just key. It's great to know if someone's seen it, to be able to send a picture nice and easy. Uh, it's just a, it's a lot of fun to use, and it, it just... It's easy and it it gives that silly, easy, simple what BBM has factor to the iPhone now. You know, it, it just does. And I totally agree. It was uh, great to be able to just chat. It, it just gives it a, it just it, it's easy and it works. And that's what we need. And even being limited to the iPad, uh, it was uh, it, it's it, it's something that um, I, I could see. Like I said, it's why uh, why I'd want to get an iPhone to, to bring that experience, but to be able to pick up the conversation on either device too, which roots really neat. And that's something that, uh, of course, BlackBerry should have done with the playbook is have that capability built in. And it's uh, it, you know, it's just it's just cool. Uh, but of course, you know, there are some there are some things that are lacking with it. Right. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not perfect. It, I think it'll it'll eventually kind of make its way. Um, you know, it'll evolve and stuff. Uh, when you're using it on the iPad, this the uh, was it the send button is really, really small um, right next to you know, the, the delete yeah. button. Yeah. So half the time I was deleting my you know punctuation or the last few letters of the messages instead of sending them, which uh, very irritating. They'll fix it. I know they'll make a bigger button or they'll they'll do something. They'll move the button or make it so that you can choose to have return. Uh, send it because that's that's what I tried doing the first couple of times was typing a message hit return and then it just gives you another line which is okay if uh, you know that's what you want to do but make it an option it's something that uh, is is a really nice thing to have uh, we started talking about it so let me just wrap up here iOS 5 uh, it requires iTunes 10.5 to install that's a free download from apple.com two new apps also were released uh, alongside of iOS 5 the find my friends and airport utilities uh, also OS 10 10.7.2 was released and that includes a number of changes including support for Apple's iCloud service so all of those things happened. Um, we're going to talk about some records that were set, but one of the things that I read about just data traffic is that the the UK's uh, one of the UK's biggest days in history for data traffic was this this last week. I think it was Wednesday when that was released. So a lot of people going and grabbing all these updates, and Apple's servers were hit hard. But um, with the exception of about eight hours, everything seemed to by by that evening kind of mellowed out, and everyone was downloading things okay. Yeah, it was an unbelievable day for updates for Apple products. I mean, I I, I was uh, blown away with what they had to coordinate to get you know released, you know, including the line updates, the iTunes updates, the all of course all the you know iOS device updates. It, just uh, what a day for updating! I can't uh, I can't imagine what uh, the work going on behind the scenes to get all of that coordinated must have been. You think about a regular day for Apple and the amount of traffic going in and out of their data centers, and you think about a day like this where you had almost a gigabyte of updates for Line alone. Uh, you had a was a six or seven hundred megabyte download for iOS five. You had updates to a number of pieces of software. Um, it was just, I mean, I can't even imagine. You know, we'll, we'll we'll say I bet it was more than a terabyte of data they pushed that day, Joey. I bet it was. Oh, oh, it had to have been more than that. <laughs> Jeez, that's like probably a terabyte a minute. I'm just kidding. Yes, exactly. Oh. There was a, yeah, there's a, a lot of data being pushed. Anyway, um, let's uh, let me just wrap this up real quick with with the four S because um, I know there's a lot of people that have them, but just some quick impressions of it. It looks exactly the same as my iPhone four. Uh, it's almost a little bit boring, you know. For those of you that made the upgrade, you're probably thinking the same thing. Unless you changed colors, it's like well. 
it's really not all that different. It's not all that exciting. But um, a couple of the big things for me with the upgrade were the camera. Um, I, I'm going to be taking a lot more pictures. I haven't mentioned it on the show, but just recently had uh, a child. And so I'm going to be taking a lot more pictures uh, going forward. And so I'm, I really appreciate having that 8 megapixel camera. Also, it's got that dual core processor, which makes it feel a lot like the iPad 2 in, in terms of how quickly it responds and how fast generally things just go. And it's, it's, it's really a nice upgrade. Apps run better. Things are just smoother. So that's definitely appreciated. Siri's there. I know everyone's talking really big about Siri. It just feels really novel for me right now. I forget about it. I forget about it until I read a news article about someone talking about something else you can do with Siri. Yeah, it's kind of, I think the most beneficial thing for me is you can set a reminder. I think I may do that quite often where I'll say, Siri, remind me tomorrow at 9 a.m. that I need to do X, Y, and Z or something like that. And that, it works really well. I may do that a lot, but the, you know, tell me the weather. I can just slide down my notification train. It's going to tell me what the weather is, so I don't need that uh, particular service. And I don't know. Maybe as they hook in more features, more parts of the operating system, maybe open up an API for developers that can use it with their applications and maybe get more useful. But again, to me, it's just novel right now. Yeah, and, and one thing where it really does benefit you, of course, is if you are driving. Uh, you know, once this week comes around, you may be finding yourself, uh, oh, let me give that a shot. Let me t- send this text message via voice. And I think you'll probably quickly learn, you know, as long as it can, you know, pick up your voice with the noise in the car uh, fairly well, you'll find yourself using it for that function, which, of course, you know, that's what you want. You want something safe where you're not looking at your phone at all. And and that to me is just a general voice transcription. That's something that Android has had for a while, and I found that it's worked really well. I, I've used it with a number of different Android devices, and absolutely, when when messages come in, I, I use that regularly, especially when driving, just because it's it's so easy to just speak out a sentence and, and make it you know let it go. And I know Joey, I was doing that a little bit with you yesterday, responding on on iMessage via voice, and that's that's kind of nice. But at the same time, is it is it really that hard just to type out something? I don't maybe maybe not. It depends. I guess it depends on your situation where you're at at that point so uh, a lot of different uh, things with that i know the um uh the there's certain communities the accessibility communities are really loving this one uh you know those that are blind surrey is is huge because it can do a lot of different things it can it can read you different you know messages that are happening it can it can make parts of the operating system that much easier uh to use and so i, I think that's that's pretty neat, and I'm 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 really hoping that they can continue to compound uh, the the work that they've put in with this and, and make it fun for people uh, to use and, and and again you know make it more useful than just the novelty. Uh, also, AirPlay. Um, I think I mentioned last week I got a new Apple TV, the the second generation Apple TV, and that's been really nice to use with AirPlay. Um, I am able to now with both the iPad 2 and the iPhone stream media from my network shares over uh, an application directly to it. Um, I can also stream Slacker Radio, which is something that I listen to constantly and be able to stream that directly from any iOS device over to an Apple TV. Um, The AirPlay mirroring is all right. Um, It makes the screen um, on my, you know, the the flat screen TV of a different aspect ratio. You get those black bars on the side, but um, it's all right. It's better with the uh, better with the iPhone. That's for sure. Uh, Then uh, the iMessage we already talked a little bit about, but I think it's, it's definitely one of the best features that came with iOS five. And I know a lot of people are going to be using this and um, it's, 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 
very, very good. I'll just put it that way. Finally, speeds. Um, the 3G speeds on this are are better. Um, I did some speed tests, Joey. I had uh, tweeted out a, a picture of this, and you and I were talking about it. They're, the speeds that I initially got um, in a, one of the towers that I've got near me is, I know, a, a faster tower. Uh, over 9 megabits per second on a couple of different speed tests, and uh, the upload speeds are about a meg and a half, which is all right. It's not overly you know, fast, but it's, it's certainly not 4G, I'll tell you that. Um, and the latency is okay. It's about 120 milliseconds, which is much better than the 250 milliseconds I typically saw in AT&T before, but it's still not that 50 millisecond uh, latency that you find with LTE. So it is nice to see faster download speeds. I will give it that. I know they're not billing this as a 4G device. Um, we talked briefly last week about how AT&T was looking to try and get that 4G notification changed. Um, so it says 4G on the top notification bar, but it's not a 4G device. It's a faster 3G device. That's all there is to it. Well, we're not going to get into the semantics of it, but yeah, I mean, and if you're coming from an iPhone 4 where you had 7.2, you've now got the capability to get 14.4, but in, in many areas, the towers won't support even close to seven for that matter. So a lot of people really won't see a difference, but there will be a number of people that will be able to uh, have faster data. It's nice to have faster data. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not, I just am saying it's, this is not 4g. This folks, if you've not tried, uh, you know, LTE, this is not what 4g is all about. This is just a really nice upgrade to 3g. So um, that's that. Should we talk about some news? There's a lot of news this week that also happened. Uh, mentioned it in my my little anecdote there about BlackBerry going down. Millions of BlackBerry users uh, this week had issues. And, and starting in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East, on Monday, they found themselves without data service for the majority of the day. Uh, it was service was seemed to be restored a little bit later. Uh, and then to just go back down again on Tuesday morning, RIM ultimately issued a statement saying that they were, they were experiencing issues. Um, there was a bug that they were trying to work to restore. Um, um, and uh, they said something about a core switch failure in the infrastructure, which never sounds good when you hear something like that. Uh, and then all, we came to Wednesday, and that's where subscribers in the Americas started experiencing service delays. And, and they ultimately held a press conference on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. They confirmed that uh, the core switch, when it had failed, um, it also had the switch's backup failed. And then the problems were just compounded upon from there on and uh, created a backlog of messages. And they had to throttle back data traffic as a result and started to process those backlog messages. And finally, all messages were delivered late in the day on Wednesday. Um, th- uh, Thursday, then RIM co-CEO Mike Lazaridis stated that all global services had been restored. Everything was back to normal. Um, but uh, he apologized for everything that had happened. Of course, this was uh, you know a 72-hour period where certain people uh, subscribers didn't have any service. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just like, oh, my emails are not coming in. Um, yeah, you can make phone calls, but you couldn't send BBM messages. You couldn't um, use applications. You couldn't browse the web. Any data traffic was essentially just down. And that's one of the biggest things about using a BlackBerry device is that you are, or if you have a problem, it's because of RIM. There's nothing that you can do about it. It's not a wireless provider thing. It's all because it flows back through their network operations center. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's a point of failure because it's a centralized point of failure and it's just one more layer. You know, the longer your chain, you know, the more links you have in the chain, of course. And if one link is uh, faulty and it'll fail, you've just got that much higher percentage of a risk, you know, of failure. 
and you know something like an iphone where it does direct exchange pulls your iphone is communicating directly with the exchange server at your company you know the, in in most cases and if the email server goes down yes your email goes down but it's just you it's just you know your company is limited and your company can you know fix it on on the timetable that they've paid for but when you're at the mercy of another company then you know obviously we saw here we saw a multi-day shutdown which for you know like what you experienced it's uh very frustrating because you know you've become accustomed to using this and of course you know who you deal with is accustomed to you responding immediately yeah and i had a i had one situation on wednesday where i had an email from um, one of my employees who was um, expecting a pretty immediate response and ended up getting a frantic call about a half hour later saying you know did, did you get my email and i'm sitting there no i didn't get it you know i'm, I'm not here i wasn't in the office and so it, it was a big issue and, and I'm sure, you know, uh, people have jobs where it's even bigger of an issue than, you know, for, for example, your job. I mean, it's, it, it's sometimes these things are, are very, very critical uh, to get these messages immediately. And, and of course, when you're relying on it and then it just goes away, it is difficult to, um, to adjust to that in a real quick period of time. Also, you've got a lot of government agencies that are using this, and I'm not uh, putting government work above anyone else in the private sector, but at the same time, it is government, and you expect a, a certain level of service from them. So, yeah, issues all around. This was the biggest outage in RIMS history, the first in over 18 months. Could not have come at a worse time with the iPhone 4S coming out this week and all the great Android options out there. This is just really, really bad for RIM. Yeah, it really probably makes people think that uh, they should be picking up an iPhone to uh, jump to the iMessage platform. It, it really is a bizarre, uh, bizarre timing because it, it couldn't have been worse. And uh, what I thought was really kind of uh, funny about it is like they must be really just scaling back their operations is my guess, because if they couldn't handle that much data, I mean, how big are BBMs and, and emails? They're, they're not that huge. And if they're that backlogged, where they they down for days because of uh, the crush of data from Blackberries. That really goes to show they've probably scaled back their operations. A lot of people uh, really mad. Uh, Crackberry, of course, was uh, lit up with complaints and comments, and uh, they they covered it very well. And they got all the you know the commentary and everything out there, and uh, a little bit of humor, of course, as well. Because you know, truthfully, it's uh, you know you, you gotta you gotta move on. <laughs> you know, there's you can't just sit and be mad about it. You either either you know put your money where 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 it is here, and either stay with Rim or or leave. Quite honestly. Yeah. And then of course, if it is something mission critical, you should really have a backup, like you should carry an iPhone or some other device that can do a direct exchange pull to a mail server where you can get, you know, secondary copies of email if something is really life or death critical situation, you know, you can't rely on one device to do that. Because what if the battery fail? What if, you know, there's a whole bunch of what ifs you can ask, but it is, um, uh, it's, it is an interesting situation. I don't think if you are a customer of BlackBerry, you can look forward to any sort of refund or anything because your phone was still functional during that period of time. Yeah, that is true. Speaking of backups, yes, I do have uh, my work email on my iPhone, which if you remember was sold, so I didn't have a device to work to use this week. So it was kind of a... Uh, kind of a double whammy for me there. Anyway, wireless trade group CTIA on Tuesday announced a number of facts about U.S. wireless use, including massive growth over the past year and increased usage of smartphones. According to the report, data traffic has increased 111% over the last year, and the number of active smartphones grew from 61.2 million to 95.8 million. Other stats include the average local monthly wireless bill dropped 1%, now down to $47.23. The total number of SMS messages 
sent and received increased 16% to 1.13 trillion. The total number of data-capable devices grew 5% up to 278.3 million. And finally, the total number of wireless subscriptions in the U.S. now exceeds the U.S. population. There's a wireless penetration rate of 103.9%, with 327.6 million mobile connections compared to the 315.5 million people. That's an interesting stat to see there. Obviously, a lot of us uh, you know, have multiple connections now, whether it's multiple phones or if you've got uh, a data card or you've got a laptop or if you've got a tablet that's got another plan on it, that's accounting as another connection. So uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things. We now have... Uh, more than the actual number of people here in the U.S. The most interesting stat for me out of this this report, though, was the 95 million smartphones that are out there. Out of the 315 million people, that's less than 30%. We are still at a point right now where we have a long way to go. Not everyone has a smartphone. It feels like they do, but they don't. Yeah, and there is a big, uh, that's a big market share still left up for grabs and that's where things like this iMessage you know this could be a big boom for apple even bigger than they currently have it is uh, it, it's still a big market it, it's staggering how much is left to grow it's it's one of those stats where you hear oh it's 30 percent but take um you know take a, a group of 10 people say 10 people maybe it's your family uh, only three of them have smartphones. That's what this means. It's it's a it's pretty interesting when you hear the the manufacturers talk about how you know this is a marathon. They're they're working on you know devices that are going to meet every every level here. This is why it's because you've got people that are not the early adopters that are not um, you know you the listener of the show that really really loves technology and uh, necessarily goes out and buys a smartphone. They're just people that use it as a tool and uh, will will eventually find their themselves with a smartphone, but. No real reason to upgrade, at least not in the short term. So uh, long way to go with that. LG on Monday announced a new display technology that they're calling True HD IPS. It shows uh, showing off the display on a new device called the LG Optimus LTE. With a screen of 4.5 inches, it has a 1280 by 720 resolution at a 16.9 or 16 by 9 aspect ratio. The company says that the display provides 329 pixels per inch. So this is a, a nice, nice display. We'll uh, probably see more of these HD displays coming out from the Android makers here. Uh, that is a higher resolution, by the way, than the iPhone 4. Google on Thursday announced its Q3 earnings, reporting a 33% increase in revenue and a 26% increase to profits. For the period, revenue hit nearly $10 billion with income at just under $3 billion. Google-owned site, sites generated revenues of $6.7 billion, or 69% of the company's total. CEO Larry Page said that there are now 190 million Android phones activated around the world and 200 million users of the Chrome web browser. Further, Google Plus now has over 40 million users, and the company employs over 31,000 people. And I'm going to have to throw something in here. We talked about this earlier, Mickey. I know it's negative, but come on, Google, take some of this profit and dump it into some application development here for uh, iOS and even Android. Get this Google Voice application to be uh, an iPad native version of it. Let's get it so you don't have to go back into the message, out of the message, into the message to get the the little badges to clear and the reds and the unreds. And, and let's get like notifications to actually work on an Android device when you get a message uh it's come on these little things uh it's not so beta anymore so come on yeah thirty-one thousand people you got you got enough people you got 10 billion dollars coming in in a, in a quarter there's there's uh you know <laughs> take a take a look at what apple's doing with with iMessage and, and take that level of sophistication and the, that level of polish and apply it to some of your products i love your services i use a ton of them but this kind of stuff just drives me nuts 
Yeah, where it's unfinished, it's un- incomplete. You know, we've got Google Talk that you can use within the, the web browser, but then it's a separate application on the phone. And then you have to use Google Voice for messaging, but you can use Google Talk for messaging. And Google Voice can't do video calls, but video calls come with Google Talk. But then sometimes you can't do it. But then sometimes it's, it's just all over the place. It, it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they got a lot of, a lot of work to go there, but uh, good quarter for them. Lots of, uh, lots of positive things and uh, CEO... Uh, Larry Page had some great things to say about it. Well, a research note from Pyramid Research this week stated that the U.S. now accounts for the largest number of 4G LTE subscriptions in the world. Of the 26 global LTE carriers, only three, Verizon, MetroPCS, and AT&T, are U.S.-based. However, these three make up 47% or 7 million of the 15 million total connections worldwide. The organization expects the demand to continue into 2012, possibly increasing the U.S.'s lead. A bill introduced this week in the U.S. Senate aims to provide clarity to consumers about what they can expect from 4G services provided by the wireless network operators. The bill was introduced by Minnesota Senators Amy Klobuchar and Al Franken with Connecticut's Richard Brendenthal. It is similar to the Next Generation Wireless Disclosure Act, and the idea is to break through the marketing that has been confusing customers about what 4G really means. The bills would require carriers to disclose guaranteed minimum data speeds, network reliability, and network conditions that can impact the speed of the applications and services used on the network. If the bill passes and adopted into law, it would require the FCC to evaluate the speed of the 4G data service for the top 10 wireless carriers. Verizon on Monday announced the next round of LTE expansion, bringing 13 new markets and expanding five others. Starting on November 17th, you'll now find service in Little Rock, Arkansas, Savannah, Georgia, Cedar Rapids and Des Moines, Iowa, Lexington, Kentucky, Kansas City and Springfield, Missouri, Lincoln, Nebraska, Orange County, New York, Greater Providence, Rhode Island, Rapid City, South Dakota, Roanoke, Virginia, and Appleton, Wisconsin. Expanding markets include Louisville, Kentucky, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Nashville, Tennessee. With the expansion, Verizon now covers 178 cities with its 4G service. Verizon on Monday uh, made changes to its privacy policy, now maintaining records of customer browsing, search terms, location, applications used, and even usage patterns. Verizon had this to say about the change. For the business and marketing reports offered by Verizon Wireless Records about websites visited, cell phone locations, and other consumer data that will be combined or aggregated to compile reports that provide businesses with insights about their consumers. For example, those insights may include the demographics like age ranges, gender, etc., and interests such as pet lovers and tennis enthusiasts of visitors to a website or commuters who may pass an outdoor billboard. Those aggregate reports could be used then by web publishers to help provide content that is more appealing to the user or with the advertisers to help better select the ads that they'll display on an outdoor billboard and or at other venues. All of Verizon's customers will be opted into the program to start. Users can opt out through Verizon's online account tools found at verizonwireless.com slash myprivacy. And surprisingly, that link actually took me right there to uh, modify the account. But boy, did they not make it easy. They hid sections of this where they it looked like it was expanded because it had a little plus next to it. But in fact, once you hit the plus, it expanded out a whole section that was hiding um, that you had to hit no, 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 down the line on all. There was like three different sections. Then when you hit the save, it like unsaved, it turned things off because it wanted you to confirm something, which it was it was done so tricky 
uh, they didn't want you to turn these things off because they're relying on lots and lots of revenue coming from this. So I recommend everybody who does have Verizon to go turn all these things off because uh, they don't really need to uh, see all this stuff from you. Verizonwireless.com slash myprivacy. Put a link in the show notes for this under Verizon Changes Privacy Policy. And finally, in the news, there was a BMW article this week that we uh, found a little bit of interest in. This is where the in-car services that are being used by BMW up until this point have all been through edge connectivity. They don't even have 3G service. And they're talking about now moving on to LTE for their 4G connections. And Joey, I know, is a big car enthusiast. This uh, kind of caught your eye. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so, you know, we've got the, it's a service like OnStar, you know, it's very similar. They've got, you know, unlocking, pol- you know, door policies, you, you can tell the uh, uh, service department what, if you need an oil change, some of the condition-based services, uh, reports back on engine condition, things like that. You know, it's it's kind of an OnStar-ish system. It's same same sort of deal, so a little different, but, you know, think about we've got, uh, you know, all these data devices, but what good, a, what better of a candidate for, you know, mobile data is, uh, you know, like a luxury vehicle where we've got, you know, streaming media that's now capable with this system, and and think of the the other options you could then start adding on that's uh, that will enrich the, uh, the experience for this, this particular service. And it's coming uh, soon. It's actually already available now. They say 20 countries... 29 commercial networks in the U.S., the first LTE-compatible devices, um, are already on the market, of course, with, uh, you know, the, with these, the, you know, the Verizon and the Metro PCS and AT&T, like we've mentioned. So the connected drive services will uh, be really pretty much ready to go as soon as they launch. Um, I kind of find this interesting, though. We're talking about really, really fast data speeds. Is it really that important to have, you know, 20 megabits per second in your car? No, no, it's really not. Uh, but it depends what you're going to be doing with it. I suppose it would be more of a future proofing. I mean, when you get, uh, you know, like right now, let's just say BMW and Mini, they both have uh, connected systems where you use your iPhone to connect up to the dash and you can use applications they've developed, uh, such as Twitter. And I even believe some Facebook and Pandora, I think are in there as well now. Um, you know, this is just taking it to a, to the next level where you don't have to plug in your own device to do this. I'm sure these things will be optional and I, and I'm sure some of the data coming from the car too, uh, would also warrant some of this extra, uh, bandwidth as well. I mean, it, it, we really don't know where this is going to go, but it's something where, um, we've got uh, future proofing this uh, technology. And honestly, I think LTE is the way to go. I mean, it would have made sense if they would have said, we'll just use HSPA just because, you know, it's it's there and um, it's, 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 you know, wider spread. It's more reliable at this point and whatnot. But it's not like a phone where you can pick up an HSPA phone now. I know it's going to be good for the next year or two. When you buy a car, most people buy cars for about five years or more. And so you want to get something that is going to, you know, stand the test of time and be able to connect and do the things. And I'm, I'm sure they've still got that edge fallback for the places that don't have LTE. But look what we what we really want, though. When you're in a vehicle, you want something that responds immediately. And the low latency of LTE is really where it's at. You want that instantaneous uh, response. And what I foresee is something like this is what about these navigation systems? Even, uh, you know, some of these DVD-based navigations are way too darn slow. I mean, you can get something from Google Maps much faster than it could take that DVD drive to read that chunk of data off that disk physical. So take this to the next level with the latency of 
of LTE, when you do that, uh, you know, map search or navigation search, it's up there immediately with with real time information, like what you would see with Google Maps, based on whether they're open, closed, uh, you know, all this extra information that can go along with it, it can be pulling all this real time versus being stored on a disk that's five years out of date. And if you wonder why does it matter to have real-time information, well, traffic is the easiest one, but how about other streets and roads that are created? I live in Phoenix, all right, and we have freeways still being built. We had a pretty major section of a freeway just go in a couple of months ago. I've got 2010 maps in uh, in one of my cars, and I, I drive this freeway regularly, and they're not on there. So having the ability to have these things updated kind of appeals to me because I like the idea of having, you know, actually the right information on the maps, you know, go figure, right, where I want to go. And uh, so there's there's a lot of things that go with this. And you're right, the low latency is a big thing. And, and that's something that LTE can provide. And HSPA isn't too far off, but at the same time, feature-proof it, just go with LTE. And I think BMW has made a great decision by going this route. Well, if you're looking for a way to support the cell phone junkie, join us on TCPJ Unlocked, our bi-monthly premium podcast. $5 a month, $12 a quarter, or $45 for the year will give you in-depth conversations about the latest and cellular issues, as well as interviews with industry experts and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com, click the link on the right for TCPJ Unlocked, and then follow the link to subscribe to premium content. A big thank you to everyone that subscribes to the Unlocked show. Well, Apple on Monday announced that pre-orders for the iPhone 4S had topped 1 million last Friday, smashing the previous single-day record for the uh, an Apple product set by the iPhone 4 last year at 600,000. According to Apple's Phil Schiller, we are blown away with the incredible customer response to the iPhone 4S. The first day pre-sales for the 4S have been the most for any new product that Apple has ever launched, and we're thrilled that customers love iPhone 4S as much as we do. Of course, online orders uh, we were received this past Friday on the 14th, and uh, if you go and order one online now, you've got a one- to two-week wait time. Apple retail stores uh, do have some, and also I think uh, the Radio Shack stores do as well. That was something that I read. So there's, uh, there's still some out there. You just have to know where to look. And I believe Sprint still does have 32 and 64s available. I, th- I think they do. There's, uh, there, there are, I know some out there. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, the, the launch of this past Friday um, was interesting because it was met by some trepidation uh, from people, including a lot of the tech media. Um, the rampant desire, though, from the buying public here has, has absolutely shown that Apple can do no wrong with this device, even though it's very similar to the four. There were multiple records set on Friday. I want to talk about some of those. Uh, first up, the Apple store on Regent Street in London had its longest line for any Apple product, almost 800 people were in line at the launch of this that beats the uh, only 660 for the iphone 4 and 630 for the ipad 2 and i'm going to make a correction uh it uh sprint only has the iphone 4 a 64 gig and and they of course have the iphone 4 8 gig still uh but it, you know this this just does go to show that even though a lot of people uh were were kind of not happy with the upgrade I think in the long term, even though this was a very successful launch, which I'm, of course, a little surprised because it is kind of the same phone. But uh, I know a lot of people were waiting for an upgrade. I know a lot of people didn't jump on the iPhone for Verizon because they were waiting for this upgrade coming soon. And I think this will be a device that will have very good uh, sustained sales throughout its life. I'm sure that the iPhone 4 started out really, really good and then probably weaned off a lot quicker than this device will. I think this device will be very, very steady, much like the 3GS, which of course they still sell today. It kind of boggles my mind, but 
that's still being sold uh, for free, of course, but it is it is out there and available. And I think that this iPhone 4S will be an equally long-term device where we'll be seeing this sold two years, three years from now still. Well, we know Wall Street is still pretty happy about what they're doing here with this. And the Apple stock price was over up, up over 3% on Friday, closed at a record high for the company, $422 a share, right on the nose. That is a huge number, 420 bucks a share. Uh, then there's Sprint, the newest U.S. carrier to the iPhone, reported their best sales day in their history by noon, Joey. The best day in their history by noon. Well, we've never seen a device uh, with such a, you know, maybe the pre had a pretty good, uh, you know, launch coming. That was an exciting phone at the time. Trying to think of other Sprint phones that have been very exciting, and there really hasn't been. I mean, because nothing compares to the Apple marketing machine. I mean, there just isn't. And, uh, you know, it's great for Sprint to to have this option. It's great for consumers to have uh, another choice for the iPhone. So it is, uh, you know, it's kind of working itself out here for, uh, you know, getting away from that uh, AT&T exclusive, um, which, it, which is really nice to see. And of course, they're the only carrier that's got truly unlimited data. So if you're looking for that, you've got one carrier to choose at this point. And, you know, before I forget, I know that this is a question that comes up occasionally. Sprint Cero plans, if you're still on one of the old, fair and flexible 500-minute uh, or 1,200-minute plans, um, that, uh, if you're on a premium one, uh, or if, okay, let me start off. If you're on a basic one, it was $30 a month. You can in fact get the iPhone 4S on one of those plans. However, you have to be upgraded to the premium one for $40 and you have to pay the $10 4G data, even though it's not 4G data, they're charging it anyway. So your, uh, your 40 or $30 plan will be $50 with the five, uh, with the, the iPhone 4S but it is possible and they are activating it. So that is uh, good news for the people who still have those accounts because they are uh, uh, very, very desirable. And honestly, I, I, I've got one of those accounts and I've thought about that too. And that was one of the things that went through my mind was, okay, maybe I take a look at just keeping um, you know, my un, you know, no contract AT&T plan right now um, and then going and getting the iPhone on Sprint. But what I just as Joey said here, it would be another ten dollars on top of that premium serial plan that I have right now that allows me to run a BlackBerry on it, and I just wasn't willing to do it. So um, you know, you're you're upping your cost if you're on one of those thirty dollars plans by sixty six percent. So it is it is possible, but it's it's st- you know you gotta you gotta consider what you're what you're doing there anyway. AT&T, finally, they said that they had doubled uh, its record for the most activations in one day, according to them. By 4.30, they were already on track to double the previous record for activations in a single day. The record volumes um, may produce, or they said may produce slower activations than typical. Um, that is absolutely true. I know AT&T customers were having issues activating on uh, Friday evening. I, I waited a little while. I waited until after midnight uh, Eastern time, and I was had no problems activating mine. So I went right through. Uh, like we mentioned before, the iPhone 4S went on sale this past Friday. One to two week delay for delivery if you choose to order it from the Apple online store. And Macworld on Tuesday reported that both Sprint and Verizon would offer that 4S with an unlocked micro SIM slot, though Sprint would be the only one to do so immediately upon shipping. Um, though Sprint on Wednesday came back and said they would not be selling the phone unlocked, and it was followed up on Thursday by a statement where they said, Sprint's policy is to have the iPhone 4S SIM locked to our network domestically and internationally, 
At launch, the international SIM will be unlocked, but we do expect a SIM lock to be pushed down to the devices shortly after the launch. We will then allow existing customers of good standing to unlock the SIM for the international use when needed. Of course, AT&T's model, like all previous, is, is uh, locked only to AT&T. No word on what Verizon would do, though I've, I've read a lot of people that have been able to just call Verizon and say, hey, I want to use an international SIM, and uh, Verizon will unlock it for them. Yeah, and that's been their policy uh, to do that. Is to, uh, you know, the, We saw some rumors that it needs to be 60 days like Sprint. Uh, Sprint, I saw another story where they said, oh, well, it's going to be temporarily unlocked and it'll relock itself after a time period. Uh, I guess it'll be, uh, we'll have to just wait and see. And then also, I know that domestic bands also are questioned as well, whether or not you can actually uh, put an unlo- put a AT&T SIM in this thing and have it worked. And I don't think it will. Um, so it's kind of like uh, Verizon phones, they usually take those bands out of the phones. But I know this is a global phone. So there's probably some sort of software hack in here that the, you know Verizon demanded to be put in that uh, restricts those bands, uh, the US bands from operating. And, and I'm almost positive the sprint would be the same way and absolutely uh, that is the case matt miller from zdnet uh, confirmed that to me yesterday he uh, has an unlocked uh, iphone 4s on verizon he put his at&t sim in it and uh, it was said something about invalid sim or something like that he took a true phone sim which is uh, a sim card from a company out of i think they're ireland and uh, they allow roaming all over the world he put that in and sure enough it kicked right on but it was only on t-mobile so he was able to then use it on edge only in t-mobile so kind of an interesting thing they're doing with this it's not uh, not nearly as clear as you would hope it would be uh, we've got a question coming up later about this as well well, and obviously they don't want uh, people to buy these phones and then, of course, turn around and uh, just go sell them to you know to the rest of the world, unlock it and then sell it as an unlocked phone. So I'm sure that's what they're trying to avoid. But of course, they want the extra revenue of global roaming with their own you know their own SIM card and their own network. Of course, it is kind of annoying for me. Obviously, someone who doesn't really travel internationally all that much, but if I do, I would love to be able to take like a true phone SIM and put it in this device and use it. But I won't because it won't let me because it's AT and T. So unfortunately. I've got to deal with that, but, uh, you know, I'd figure out another way to do it, of course, like I always do. Nokia on Thursday announced the Nokia 603, a Symbian Bell smartphone with mid-range specs. The 603 features a 3.5-inch clear black display with 640 by 360 resolution, 5-megapixel camera, 720p video, 2 gigs of internal memory, with support for micro SD cards up to 32 gigs. The phone has GSM, Edge, and HSPA Plus at 14 megabits per second down and 5.7 megabits per second up on the 800, 900, 1700, 1900, and 2100 megahertz bands. Bluetooth 3.0 NFC, Wi-Fi, GPS, and a stereo FM radio round out the specs available in Europe later this year for 275 US dollars equivalent. Verizon on Monday announced the launch of the Samsung Stratosphere, the first 4G LTE handset to feature a full QWERTY keyboard. The device features a 4-inch Super AMOLED screen, 1 gigahertz Hummingbird processor, 5 megapixel rear and 1.3 megapixel front cameras, Android 2.3 gingerbread, and mobile hotspot capabilities. The Stratosphere is available starting this past Thursday, October 13th, $150 with two-year agreement. T-Mobile on Monday announced the launch of two new HSPA Plus Android 3.2 Honeycomb tablets, the T-Mobile Springboard and the Samsung Galaxy Tab 10.1. The Springboard has a 7-inch display with a 1.2 gigahertz dual-core processor, 5-megapixel rear 720p camera with an SD card slot for up to 32 gigs of expandable memory. The Samsung Galaxy Tab 10.1 has a dual-core 
4 NVIDIA Tegra 2 processor, 802.11B GNN Wi-Fi, a 10.1-inch 1280x800-pixel resolution display, a 3-megapixel camera with HD video, and a 2-megapixel front-facing camera, though no word on pricing or release dates was released, but expect them before the holidays. AT&T on Tuesday announced the launch of five new Android-powered smartphones, the Motorola Atrix 2, Samsung Captivate Glide, Samsung Double Time, Pantech Pocket, and the AT&T Avail. A new smartphone option for prepaid customers is the Avail. The smartphones will be in AT&T's 2011 Android lineup, bringing them to 19 Android phones available with more planned to follow. These were really the biggest biggest news that came out of CTIA this week, if you were wondering, because that actually did happen. This really was what we saw in CTIA, kind of was a bust as far as news and devices goes. We did not see that much. I mean, basically the Apple uh, iOS 5 and the 4S launch really just blew any news out of the water from uh, CTIA. Some good options here, though. So if you're not an Apple fan, if you wanted one of the newer Android devices and you're on AT&T, here's what you've got to choose from. First up, the Atrix 2 from Motorola, the successor to the Atrix, a new body design. It's got category 14 HSPA Plus with Android 2.3 and uh, includes some uh, great things like a 1 gigahertz dual core processor and that 8 gig of uh, onboard memory with 1 gig of RAM. So it's uh, not bad if you're looking for the new high-end device from Motorola on AT&T. Then you've got the Samsung Captivate Glide featuring a 1 gigahertz dual core Tegra 2 processor, 1 gig of RAM, Super AMOLED display, sliding QWERTY keyboard, and HSPA plus speeds up to 21 megabits per second. Then there's the Samsung Double Time. It's a low-end offering with Android 2.2, UMTS support, and a 3.2-inch display with a 3.2-megapixel camera. And the Pantech Pocket, a unique-looking device. We saw a lot of people doing reviews on this one. A 4-inch 800x600 display. So usually we've got 800x480. This is 800x600. Looks like a mini tablet. Its mid-range specs include a six uh, six hundred megahertz uh, or six hundred megabytes of internal memory, and it's got uh, GSM support as well as uh, UMTS support for here in the U.S. with a five megapixel camera. And then finally, the ZTE Avail, a mid-range offering with a three point five inch display, five megapixel camera, and available on prepaid with Android two point three. AT and T did not release pricing or release information on any of the devices, other than saying that they'll be available in the fourth quarter. Cricket on Tuesday announced the Samsung Transfix, an Android 2.3 gingerbread sliding QWERTY device featuring an 800 MHz processor, 3.2 megapixel camera, support for 32 gig micro SD cards, and available for $180 without contract. Samsung on Thursday resent invitations for its press event, this time in Hong Kong for Wednesday, October 19th. The event starts at 10 a.m. and expected to announce the Galaxy Nexus along with Android 4 ice cream sandwich. A live stream of the event will be available at youtube.com slash Android. You know, so along with this uh, this week, there was a leaked video of this new phone running. Uh, they didn't really show the phone much, but they did show some of the new ice cream sandwich features, and it does look uh, like a nice visual, uh, you know, upgrade. They did some uh, integration of honeycomb and gingerbread here. So there's there's going to be one OS going forward. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to this uh, because there's going to be a lot of Android users that will probably be eligible to get this because the recent uh, bit of hardware should be very, very compatible with uh, Ice Cream Sandwich. And I'm I'm excited about Ice Cream Sandwich. I'm very excited about the next Nexus as well. And I'm um, I'm actually thinking about that. Yes, I just got a new phone this week. I'm already thinking about my next Android device. Um, I, I was thinking about getting a Galaxy S. Um, 
it kind of went by the wayside as as this event came you know closer. I knew there was going to be something coming up this fall. I didn't know what. Uh, I ho- hopefully, I'm will have made the right choice to wait. And if not, I suppose I can go still pick up an XSS. You absolutely can. And the, the, the benefit about that is it's just going to be much cheaper, at, you know, if you do wait to get an XSS. So uh, an XSS is very good. But of course, we, you know, it was first announced probably what, uh, almost a year ago mm-hmm. now, I would imagine. So, I mean, yes, it's uh, behind in specifications now, uh, considering with the, the, the rapid development and release cycle of these Android devices. I think about what happened with computers. Uh, you know, at some point in the the late '90s, early 2000s, we hit this point where the rapid expansion of speeds in in the computer world um, kind of came to a head. And yes, you, you can still get faster processors. You can still get you know. Now we've got the multiple cores and stuff like that. But um, I, I think we're going to find ourselves here, hopefully, within the next couple of years, seeing something like that happen uh, with smartphones as well. Well, yeah, you're kind of referring to the Moore's Law where we have this uh, doubling every year of, you know, memory, speed, CPU, all that stuff does. Uh, it, it still kind of happens in most cases. But you know what? The 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 end user uh, benefit from that goes down, like you said. Yeah, computers really don't benefit from that much faster of a processor, and that's what way why we've seen the the CPU speeds uh, frequency basically level off. And and for a while they actually went down by quite a bit because then they started multiplying cores. And you know, yes, everything is getting better, and it, it's constantly getting better. But some of the benefits don't really get seen until you start doing you know more back end software processing, even though it doesn't really affect the output it 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 it's really doing more work behind the scenes and you know in this just as kind of a side you know apple is kind of like that they don't stay uh, for the most part on the bleeding edge of these specs and they they slowly release you know on a yearly cycle and they they they've always just a little bit behind because then it doesn't seem so outdated either and that's just kind of my perception of it we got a great comment coming up for you here in just a little bit, Joey. So we'll we'll come back to that one here. Uh, finally, in devices, RIM unofficially unofficially announced a new bold and curve handset to developers this week. Uh, the new devices had very little as far as specs, um, other than to say that their new bold would be the ninety seven. 90. Uh, so that would be the next bold with a 2.4 inch touchscreen, 5 megapixel camera, 8 gigs of storage, and a 1.2 gigahertz processor. Then the Curve 9380 would be a full touch device, 3.2 inch display at 320 by 480, 5 megapixel camera, and an 800 megahertz processor. All that said, no carriers, uh, no uh, listing of what the support would be for this as far as GSM or CDMA or pricing, availability, or anything like that. Just the, the company saying to developers, here's what we've got coming up. So Keep this stuff in mind as you're developing your apps. The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application bringing you the latest episodes of the show along with bonus material for the true Cell Phone Junkie. This application integrates the best the show has to offer in a simple and effective package. You can access PDF documents of the show notes, bonus audio content, as well as following the show, emailing the show, calling the show, and listening to the show in the background. If you're looking to experience everything the Cell Phone Junkie has to offer, this application is for you. AT&T on Monday announced the AT&T Toggle service, allowing users to separate personal and work content on their phones and tablets. The service separates business data, creating a work mode that allows access to corporate email, apps, and other features. Users can switch to personal mode to send text messages, consume video, or play games. 
Toggle has a portal for IT admins to manage employees where you can update, add, and delete business data and applications from an employee's personal device if it's lost or if an employee leaves the company. Toggle is expected to be out before the end of the year and can be used on devices running Android 2.2 and higher. Facebook on Monday updated its iOS application to a universal binary that supports the iPhone, iPod Touch, and for the first time, the iPad. The features for the iPad include high-resolution photo support, slide and pinch gesture support, Facebook game compatibility, AirPlay, full chat support, and quick access to messaging features. Listed as version 4.0, the app is available for free through the iTunes app store. RIM on Monday unveiled BlackBerry Tag, an NFC-based application that enables consumers to share information via the wireless technology. Consumers with the app will be able to connect to, uh, via BBM to share contact information, documents, URLs, photos, and other content by bumping BlackBerry smartphones together. Co-CEO Jim Balsilli announced the service via a presentation in Dubai and said that it will run on the BlackBerry Bold 9930 and 9900 and the BlackBerry Curve 9350, 60, and 70 smartphones. Sling Media this week released an updated version of its Sling Player application, now optimized for Android Honeycomb tablets. The app takes advantage of the larger tablet screen and provides specifically designed controls for any video input device. The app is available for $30 in the Android market. T-Mobile on Wednesday announced new mobile applications for its bobsled voice over IP Facebook service. The new app lets users call the landline and mobile numbers of Facebook contacts free of charge and even users even lets users leave voicemail messages. Since it's voice over IP based, the app doesn't use minutes, rather the user's data plan and can be used anywhere an internet connection is available. The iOS and Android apps can be downloaded from their respective app stores. Foursquare Wednesday updated its mobile application to version 4.0, bringing support for iOS 5 and new features called Radar. The service monitors the area around the user and automatically sends push notifications of destinations nearby that the user may be of interest. Radar will let you know if a friend or family member has checked into a place nearby or if you're traveling if there's a new place that's near you that is of interest. The update is free and available through iTunes. Motorola and Sprint began rolling out a system upgrade to the Motorola Photon 4G on Thursday, bringing enhanced performance and new features. The biggest change is the addition of Google Talk with Video, allowing two-way video chats through Google's IM platform. Other updates include support for Motorola's LapDock, panorama photo shooting, and international roaming for UMTS hotspots on a single connected device. The update is available from Motorola. Google on Friday announced that MMS support has started rolling out to user accounts. Per the Google Voice blog, MMS has been one of the constant feature requests since we launched Google Voice, and we've been working hard to make this happen. Today, we're happy to announce that we've made the first step in our efforts to bring this service to users. Google Voice users are now able to receive pictures and other multimedia messages from Sprint subscribers only. The multimedia attachments will display on their mobile forwarding phone in their email inbox and when they enable text-to-email forwarding in their voice services. Uh, They will be planning to make the display them in Google Voice, uh, the Google Voice inbox as well. Uh, We are working with other mobile operators to make this work and uh, and offer all mobile support. Uh, We'll update our users when more operators are supported. Joey, I was excited about this one when I heard about it until I realized it was going to be for Sprint only. But at the same time, I think it's good that we're at least now, you know, seeing this. Um, Part of me says, though, it's it may be a little bit too late. I think most people, uh, you know, have figured out another way to get picture messages uh, because it hasn't worked in Google Voice. No, and I think that uh, it's just become a non-issue. I don't know if if uh, you know MMSs have really 
uh, expanded that much recently because with all these mobile devices and instant chat clients, you can kind of send pictures that way. But I think um, I think uh, Google will probably eventually get this rolled out. I'm not yeah exactly sure why it's taken them so long, but hopefully the integration with Sprint uh, will be able to allow them to test this out to uh, roll it out to everybody else. You know, this is just another one of those things that uh, we were talking about at the top of the show. What Google? Why has it taken it this long? Maybe it's a uh, you know, a logistical support issue, or maybe you've got lack of support from, I don't know what it is, but y- you need to figure out a way to do this. It, it would have been very, very nice to have this years ago. Also, the other thing we mentioned at the top of the show, Google Voice um, having issues. It was pulled from the App Store this week. Apparently, uh, Google saying that our last update uh, had a bug in it that caused the app uh, to crash for iOS devices. So we removed it, and uh, so it will not affect additional users until it gets fixed. No word on when that's going to happen. I'm absolutely seeing this issue. It is crashing very regularly when I go to launch it, especially if it's already running in the background of my device. Um, It seems to uh, fix itself if I close the application and open it back up. But as soon as I click on settings, then I immediately see a crash again. So just a very crashy service. Fortunately, push notifications are still working, so at least I know that I'm getting text messages, but still very annoying, and uh, I'm really hoping they get this fixed. It appears to be iPhone only at this point. I know iPad, Joey, both you and I have been using it on the iPad and have not really seen any issues. So ultimately, uh, no no big deal if you're using it on the iPad. And finally, Microsoft on Thursday said that the HTC HD 7S on AT&T is now in the process of being updated to Windows Phone 7.5 Mango. That update will be pushed out to users over the air. We've got a number of questions and comments here. The first one comes from Jeff. It's a comment, and he says, uh, Mickey, hope all is well. I wanted to share some observations from a casual cell phone user. I couldn't help but wanting to write you a number of times about your comments that you've had on your podcast, mainly about the entire Sprint WiMAX LTE debacle. After reading in the past week about Sprint's change of heart to now deploy LTE, I have no doubt that from day one, this was going to happen in the way that they... uh, have any personal investment included Uh, going back a couple of years when the industry started to look past 3g which i still don't think 4g merits true customer needs uh, the industry started down the technology roadmap and lots of intellectual property for 4g was in discussion i i.e the ieee etc between north america and europe's euc also many different platforms were being weighed Uh, so back when i started reading as much as i could about who was in the works with lte and wimax and the underlying technologies uh and who there were i found out that there were certain labs that were funding the two platforms lte being funded in loose terms here uh, by a t- few of the top 50 wall street firms wimax was being funded by more of a private investor model lte and its intellectual property was a licensing platform and wimax being more open and having a larger investment from a single phone carrier the relationship from wall streets uh, from wall street was resided uh, are resided in funding lte uh, that have taken their stance and since the mobile carriers that are all listed on the street have a close relationship no one would admit to but certainly if the street was funding intellectual property development of lte it's going to be lte that the carriers are going to end up deploying it is what it is now i sit back in my chair scratch my head with sprint and ymax investor investors shaking their heads on sprint's quick turnaround on deploying the technology if anything it's sprint's only hope it's not uh, not a minute too late to make the switch over to lte as fast as they can perhaps the investment in sprint needs to go to lte to make their biggest uphill battle on the street uh if it's on the streets for funding of lte i bet sprint will be receiving some but probably in terms that will not be openly disclosed sprint made the fatal mistake by going with wimax initially and i think everybody knew it from day one anyway just my two cents jeff 
Yeah, that's a great uh, bit of research there. And, you know, your likely conclusions that, the, you know, the money backing it is what's driven the uh, the launch of it. And I'm sure that's correct because, I mean, what what things don't get pushed by money or big money behind the scenes? I mean, that's really how uh, most of the stuff gets done these days. It's not for the greater good uh, that we see because we want to have an investment payoffs. And in order to do that, you push your technology and get these things uh, pushed out the door. Uh, and that is a great, uh, that really is a great point, and it probably is the case. But then, of course, some of the other technical issues really is what's held Sprint back as well, because they had a third-party company that they were, you know, uh, basically leasing out space from. It was in kind of in a bad band. The rollouts were spotty at best. And, you know, all these factors combined really did uh, leave a pretty lackluster uh, 4G rollout for Sprint. And, you know, in all honesty, it's uh, it's going to change for them. I know once they get LTE started to roll out, it's, it's going to help things along and things will go well. Um, you know, but like we mentioned at the top of the show, almost 180 markets for Verizon now have 4G LTE service. It's faster than WiMAX. It's more robust than WiMAX. It just generally works better. And uh, so they've got a long uphill battle to uh, work with that. AT&T does, too quite honestly. So they've got a long way to go. But yes, thank you very much, Jeff, uh, for your research and your insight there. Thanks for sharing. Next is a question from Mike. He says, I was listening to last week's podcast, number 280, and heard you answer a question about if the iPhone 4S will have simultaneous voice and data on Verizon. And I believe it will not. I have, uh, and, belie- and that we believed it would not. I have an HTC Thunderbolt, and I am able to receive voice and data at the same time um, over 3G. Is that something that is tied to the LTE chip, or is it because I have an SVDO phone? I just thought I had to comment on the fact that Verizon does have simultaneous voice and data, just not just over Wi-Fi. Uh, so yes, Mike, absolutely. It is due to this specific hardware in the Thunderbolt, that 1X Advanced SVDO supporting chipset. Um, I believe that's the only one that Verizon has so far. I'm going to put a link in the show notes here if you want to read more about it um, when we talked about it back a few months ago. But yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the advantages of the SVDO. Yeah, and that's the only one I know about. I suppose we've got uh, the possibility of some of their other LTE phones could potentially have this capability due to the LTE chipset. Uh, we saw that maybe one of the black, the new BlackBerry Bold could possibly have this with their received diversity uh, system in there, but it may not be uh, part of that. So it's uh, it, it, there's not a lot of information about the SVDO, but that is why you're getting the simultaneous voice and data. And uh, I th- think we pretty much have all but confirmed this. It is not uh, working on Verizon devices still. So unless you're on Wi-Fi, of course, yes, you can use Wi-Fi. And then you can do simultaneous voice and data. But if you are using it out in a 3G area or even 1X area, you're not going to be able to use data while you're on a phone call. Yep, and we did see that the iPhone 4S had the uh, 6610 uh, chipset from Qualcomm. And what was, I can't remember what the other chipset was, but it's uh, both of those don't seem to support the, uh, the 1X Advanced. Exactly, exactly. Next up is a voicemail from Tim. Hey, Mickey and Joey, this is Tim from Milwaukee. I'm sitting at a McDonald's drive-thru waiting for my food, and I thought I'd call the cell phone junkie because AT&T managed to automatically connect me to the Wi-Fi here at this McDonald's location. I just wonder what your thoughts were on this process of this automatic Wi-Fi hookup. I understand why they do it, but when I go from 2.5 megabit speed on 3G down to 1.04 on their AT&T uh, Wi-Fi here, I just think it's kind of it's doing me more of a hindrance. I understand their offload problem, but just want to know your guys' thoughts on this. I mean, why can't... Uh, why can't we get, you know, at least five megabit speed here at the McDonald's? Then I'd be happy. Uh, thanks, guys. Great show. Uh, I'll continue to listen every week as I have done for a long time. 
Have a great day. Tim, thanks very much for your voicemail. Well, I run into this issue all the time. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I was just looking at it uh, here the other day. Um, I have a number of Starbucks locations in my area, and so I'll often find myself, uh, whether I'm at a stoplight or um, just walking around, uh, that I'll just automatically connect to an AT&T Wi-Fi. And yes, it is kind of annoying when you've got a backhaul on your 3G tower that is much faster uh, than probably a DSL line that you're all, all you're seeing here for a, wi- a Wi-Fi connection um, at a McDonald's. But um, I don't think that there's... I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. Um, I, I'm okay with it. I actually don't mind it because the, the latency usually speeds up and, and usually works just fine. Um, it's when you get on those fringe areas and... Um, you know, you've got something that's not working and then you look up and you see you're connected to Wi-Fi, but it's only got that one little bar. Um, kind of an interesting thing though, Joey, I know you're not an at t customer, so you don't see this, but really you're just kind of like out and about doing stuff and all of a sudden you're connecting to, uh, to AT&T hotspots. I think what you can do though um, is when you're on one of these hotspots, go to the Wi-Fi settings and click through to that AT&T um, network connection and you can actually go in and delete it so it doesn't remember it and then you don't have to worry about it connecting automatically. Like me, you probably just leave your Wi-Fi on all the time just because what does it matter? You're just going to connect where you connect. But it's times like this where it gets annoying. So if you don't want to be using it, um, you know, when you're just generally out and about, just delete it and so it's not in your saved Wi-Fi networks and then you won't have that problem. Um, and then honestly, if you just happen to find yourself at a Starbucks or another McDonald's and you need it again, just go ahead and re-add it because you're able to do so. Anyone can connect to it. It is a free open network. Next is a question from Angel and he says, First, as always, thanks for you guys are doing an awesome job on the show. Uh, my question is, if I activate an iPhone 4S on Verizon and I want to cancel that contract later on down the road, can I take that same phone and activate it on AT&T? Also, what other benefits do unlocked iPhones domestically have, if any? Well, Angel, as we talked about a little bit ago, it sounds like right now that is not going to work for you. If you, if you take an iPhone that you buy on Verizon, unlock it, it's going to work with SIM cards, but only international SIM cards. Domestic cards are not working at this point. Who knows if we'll be able to get a hack or something that can break through that software that's allowing that to, or forcing that to happen. Um, it may be, well, certainly would be, you know, in per some sort of jailbreak route. Um, but bottom line is you're not going to be able to do it. Don't plan on doing it. Uh, what are the benefits of uh, being, getting an unlocked iPhone domestically? Uh, not much right now, honestly, except, uh, you know, on, if you wanted to eventually sell it or maybe use it, uh, you know, again, if you were traveling internationally, that would be why. Yeah, that's the only reason uh, you buy an unlocked phone, you know, with a AT&T plan, because that's really the only place you can get 3G or T-Mobile if you use Wi-Fi mostly. Um, and yes, if you uh, travel internationally and you use local SIM cards, you don't use, you know, their global AT&T's global service, uh, you use prepaid SIM cards to pop in and out. That's why you'd have an unlocked one. You know, the funny thing is, too, with all of this international and SIM talk and everything, it's still a micro SIM. You still have to figure out a way to get yourself a micro SIM from one of these carriers or cut down one that you buy from them, which is, you know, sketchy at best. So just keep that in mind. If, if you're doing traveling and stuff like that, you may have to do a little bit of work. It's not something that just maybe pop into a store and pick up a, a prepaid SIM because they may have the bigger SIMs and you may have to deal with that. Honestly, for, you know, international traveling, it's probably best to just really either go with a BlackBerry because the data is very, very less and or just picked up, pick up an absolutely ultra cheap, you know, clamshell unlocked phone with like every single band available in it. And you, you can get those for 
uh, very, very inexpensive. Yeah, that's a good way to go. And uh, we've talked about a few services on the on the show in the past. Max Roam and True Phone. Um, they've got some some decent services here where you can get an U.S. phone number assigned to it. So then you can use, say, a, a Google Voice service and have all your phone calls and text messages routed over to it, and don't have to deal with uh, having people call an international phone number. So there are other services like that which are not as cheap as buying a local SIM card, but they're not as expensive as going with your carrier. So a long answer to a question. No, there's really, there's no no real reason for a domestic uh, unlocked phone. Yeah, not really. <laughs> anyway, uh, next is a comment from Paul. He says, for what it's worth, I'd like to respond to Joey's comment about Apple want uh, waiting a few generations before implementing new technology in their products. He stated that Apple always waits for new tech to be stabilized, cheapened, and improved before adopting it. Uh, while it has been true in many cases, I would argue that they almost as often integrate new tech before anyone else. Case in point, Thunderbolt ports on the new Mac computers and Bluetooth 4 in the iPhone 4S. Uh, one may even argue that their new antenna design of the iPhone 4 was too young to be implemented and that it would be dead in most people's opinions. I'm sure if you looked at other specifics, you could easily pick out a few more that were implemented before the tech was very old, but those were the two most recent examples that I thought of off the top of my head, Paul. And I may not have been clear on that, but really I was referring to their radio technology. Um, they're always behind on that, and the, the reason is for battery life. And uh, that's exactly why they've put the Bluetooth 4 stack in there, because that runs on the ultra-low power mode. Um, Thunderbolt ports on the Mac computer, yeah, that really isn't compatible. You know, that's really not the same argument, because uh, just like with the Retina screen, that was the basically the very first smartphone with a very high DPI screen. Uh, that was a feature that really caught everybody off guard on the, the iPhone 4, because it was something new and innovative. Um, but it doesn't take any more power to run that thing. And that's really where Apple uh, tends to be conservative uh, with the battery using technology. And of course, the the radio chipsets where they can get them more efficient and smaller and uh, cheaper. Yeah, there's some new technology that comes out with all their devices. They were some of the first ones that included like, you know, the, the core i7 processors uh, in desktops. They were some of the first to include, obviously, these, you know, like like you mentioned, the retina display. So, yes, there are a few things. Um, yeah, so it's not that they always fall behind. In fact, there's a lot of things that in the design of their products, and that's what's really the biggest thing for Apple products in general is the design. Look at the MacBook Air. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, an amazing design copied by a lot of people now, yet it's running relatively old technology inside. The one that I have has got a 1.4 gigahertz processor. That's half of my desktop processor. Yeah, and you're right, and and I probably was a little bit overgeneralized, but it it does seem, and in, in, in lately Apple really has stepped it up quite a bit. If I, I guess I'm thinking more towards the, what 2008, 2009, uh, all their computers were actually really behind, but but at the time, you know, Mac OS uh, 10 was in such a wonderful state, and it still is, that it didn't matter because that operating system is so efficient that it really you didn't need the horsepower of the P, the, the, the 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 comparable PCs at the time. At least not to just run the general operating system. You get into, you know, obviously certain applications and stuff, and it's a different story. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Paul, for uh, for calling us out on that one so we could clarify it. And finally today, a question from Paul. He says, guys, another question. I'm looking for a car dock for my Motorola Droid 2. I'm trying to decide whether to go OEM or Universal. I'm due for an upgrade in April of next year, so I don't want to pay full price for a new OEM dock. And I, since I don't I won't use it for all that long. I would consider one used if the price was right. My question is, how are the universal mounts in general? And which ones do you recommend looking at? Or is it worth the investment to go into the OAM, Paul? 
And it really depends how you're going to be connecting it. If you're just going to be holding on to it and you're just going to be leaving it uh, there, um, you know, without a USB connection or if you're going to be doing a, a tethering with a A2DP, Bluetooth, what, what the actual connection is kind of where you need to go and decide on, on what kind of dock do you want to get. And honestly, I, I have uh, a couple of things to, to say about this. Number one, I personally use a Wilson Sleek as my vehicle mount. Uh, it's a signal booster as well. So it holds my phone um, and it also boosts the signal of it, which is really good for obviously phone calls, but then also the data connection as well. Um, it allows me to adjust for the specific phone that I want to put in there in that day. Um, and it will boost the signal, of course, when I use it. If you're looking for something specific, I highly recommend ProClip USA. We reviewed their products on the site in the past. Um, I've talked with them. They're great people and they have mounts for just about anything you could want. Um, you buy the specific adapting mount for your vehicle and then choose the device that you want to install. So it may be worth looking to buy that adapter for your vehicle so you can install that and then buy maybe something used from them or from someone else used for the device that you have and then buy the new specific mount when you get the one, uh, your new device. So maybe that's a good way to go as well. But they make some great, really nicely, nice looking integrated products. Yeah, I have one in my uh, Mini Cooper, uh, a Pro Clip dash mount, and I have my uh, Sirius Stiletto uh, mounted to that, and I, I do like that. I know Ram, uh, Ram mount, they also have some uh, cradles and, 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 and mounting methods as well for uh, mounting devices. Lots of, uh, lots of options there. You'll, uh, you'll appreciate their website. So head over to ProClipUSA.com and, and check that out, Paul. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can get in touch with us a couple of ways. Give us a call, 206-203-3734, or send an email to questions at junkie.com. We'll get you on the next show. If you'd like to follow all the news that we talk about on the site, you can do so over at junkie.com. Or if you prefer to use social media, you can go to facebook.com slash junkie and like us over there, and you'll find all the news in your Facebook timeline. Or uh, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash junkie. We'll give you all the stories as well. So, Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.